gets a mortgage and our minds are media slaves the world is warming up as we are mother nature's wage just inside she is taking Welcome to this Voice America special, The Consciousness Shift Needed for Real Global Change. This is your host, Dr. Kurt Johnson of the Inner Spiritual Network, Unity Earth, and Light on Light Media. This is the third in a series here on the convergence regarding global transformation in these urgent times. And you will clearly note that some of the interview commentaries within this special were recorded during the recent International Climate Conference, COP26, which took place October 31st to November 12th, 2021, in Scotland. In the first special of this series, entitled Global Unit of Healing, Toward a World that Works for All, we featured Gene Houston, Ken Wilbur, Rianne Eisler, David Corton, David Sloan Wilson, and other major global thought leaders. The second special, The Earth Constitution and the Great Transition, featured several-time Nobel Peace Prize nominee Dr. Irvin Laszlo, along with the author of The Earth Constitution Designed for a Living Planet, Dr. Glenn T. Martin, and an inspiring group of global discussants. Some 17,000 persons have listened to these and our previous broadcasts on global change, joining over 50,000 listeners in 2021. So we're really grateful for that. In this third special, we center on the consciousness shift needed to achieve real global change. A fundamental point agreed to by all who are discussing global change today is that without a fundamental shift in human consciousness at all levels to truly comprehending the profound interconnection of all things, oneness or whatever we may call it, the ambitious visions and actions for global change will simply not succeed. They will not succeed either from the human intellect or what we regard as business as usual today. We are all familiar with Albert Einstein's famous statement, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. So if you can stick with me for just about another five minutes of further introduction, I think we can get really squared away for an appreciation of what's coming in this Voice America special. After an initial uh, section with leaders from the diverse United Nations community, we will include a discussion with the Pioneer Institute of Noetic Sciences and diverse voices from the Friends of the Institute of Noetic Sciences. We'll conclude with the discussion among leaders of ProSocial.World, which combines the approaches of mainstream science and the Nobel Prize-winning design principles of Dr. Eleanor Ostrom. So let me introduce you right away to our first guests. We're going to start today's special with Richard Bowell, 
of the Global Center for Human Change and ConsciousWorldCitizens.org. Richard and his colleagues there, Michael Shuchuk and Kay Dundorf, have been pioneers in this discussion in the United Nations community. Ms. Dundorf has been serving on the United Nations NGO Committee for Spirituality, Values, and Global Concerns, Michael as the co-founder of the Center for Human Change, and Richard is the author of several important books that have been influential in the United Nations community. These include The Last Unpolluted Place on Earth is Inside Ourselves, Waking Up to Our Evolutionary Purpose, Growing Up to Our Conscious Contribution, and his most recent book, The Essential Shift, which is an updated and expanded version of an urgent plea from the future, the 17 Sustainable Development Goal Alignments. When we begin our discussion with Richard in just a moment, he'll be referring in his opening comments to this important book, The Essential Shift. It offers a transformative process of the same name, The Essential Shift, and notes what is so fundamental in this process, that is, until we transform ourselves, we really cannot hope to transform the world. So we want to announce that as a part of this broadcast and an accompanying article about it in Trends Magazine, the book is going to be offered as a free download between December 17th and December 25th. At the link featured in both the program description here at the Voice America show page and also in Richard's biography at the show page. For the show page, you simply Google the Convergence at Voice America, which is the page you've actually just arrived at to listen to this broadcast. The book download is also available through the free Trends e-magazine, which you can easily find at trends.we. Dot net. That's trends.we.net. And you can find all the other materials about Richard's work at richardabowl.org and consciousworldcitizens.org, including Richard's most recent book, The Unfolding of the Way, There is No Way to the Future, The Future is the Way. A full biography, Richard, that includes notes on his colleagues, Michael and Kay, are also at the Voice America show page. Now, renowned integral philosopher Ken Wilbur, who was a guest on our first special in this series, has endorsed Richard's books as they share a similar vision with his own and another leading holistic worldview that I'm sure you're all familiar with, Spiral Dynamics. In a nutshell, regarding this question of the consciousness shift needed for real global change, we all find ourselves in an era where our inner court, as Richard Bull calls it, that is our inner way of knowing, which is in in integral and spiral dynamics, what they call the first quadrant or our first person realm of direct experience. Many people already understand the consciousness shift that needs to happen toward interconnectedness or oneness. However, in the world's outer court, as Bowell calls it, the world of governments, cultures, business environments, militaries, go through the whole list, these are now mostly dominated by old paradigm worldviews 
of separation and conflict. What Integral and Spiral Dynamics calls the third quadrant or our third person realm of an objectified experience, cultures, governments, worldviews, business as usual, and so on. Here, the consciousness shift awareness seems to have barely penetrated, mainly, as we've said, because of humanity's habits of business as usual. So all of us, especially in the transformative community, find ourselves in what Richard Bull calls the middle court, caught in the middle, what integral and spiral dynamics call the second person or dialogical experience, my idea, your idea, my idea, your idea, and we are trying to build a bridge between that more coherent inner court inside ourselves that understands the need for change and the more incoherent outer court of much as the rest of the world, which seems to just go on, as we said, with the habitual business as usual. So that is what we're really all about in this discussion, even with all the guests are on this program how to link that conscious inner court to that often unconscious and often very troubled outer court and in real time. And precisely at the time when all clearly thinking persons and organizations know that business as usual for our future is simply not enough. As Ken Wilber always reminds, all humans see through these natural lenses, what we call first second, and third person. As Wilbur says, this is the structure of all human languages. There must be an important reason. So let me just say one more thing before we go over to Richard's commentaries, which I think will also help you with your insights. We've already mentioned the essential shift, and Richard will mention the book and the free book download offer right away in his comments. A simple way to understand what he means by the deeper underlying essential shift that must take place in the world and why it's not happening is a bit like when a child or an adolescent has been caught, as they say, with their hand in the cookie jar, taking, taking, extracting, extracting from the world, etc. And yes, when caught, they promise, oh, I promise I won't do it again but they do nothing to address or cure the underlying pathological behavior that causes them to always reach into the cookie jar in the first place. Our world's government's responses to today's critical challenges are much like that. Or as Claudia Welsh, chairman at the Institute of Noetic Sciences, one of our upcoming guests says, you can't wait until the day of the fire to try to organize a fire department. So as you'll note, Richard reprises this theme immediately in his comments when he refers to promises, promises, and blaming, blaming. And as we've noted, we recorded Richard's comments during the recent 12-day global climate conference, COP26, regarding which Richard will be often referring to specific topics and challenges from the conference itself and how it typifies the struggle of our species to actually respond meaningfully in such challenging times. So let's go over now to Richard Bull speaking about the essential shift and his invitation for you to receive the book 
as a free download. So can you see the words on this book, only when we transform ourselves can we transform the world around us? That's what this book is about. And the Global Center in New York is making it available as an online edition for free to try and encourage people to understand and see what's actually happening in our world right in front of our eyes. And the specific focus is COP26. Now, some might say, well, it's going rather well. And some might say they're not doing enough. But actually, without a template, it's really very difficult to look through the spin and the, uh, what do you call it, the, the, the mists that are being created to the actuality of what's happening. Now, each day, I take the events of the day before and I look at them from the standpoint of the essential shift of transforming oneself and not trying to transform the world. Okay, yesterday was about promises. Promises, promises, promises. Every few hours, some leader would appear on stage and say, we're now going to uh, stop deforestation by 2030. We're going to bring business in line with the Paris Agreement of 2015. And just think about this for a moment. I'm sure everyone has made a promise to themselves at some point, like, let me lose some weight, let me give up cigarettes, let me spend more time with my family, let me get a new job. And they know how difficult it is. And the template, or really the blueprint, of promises is that one makes an intention, one projects to a date down the road, and then one develops a strategy of some kind to reach that goal. That's how 2015 the SDGs were written, 17 Sustainable Development Goals. Now, the problem with doing that is that the person or the government that's making that promise cannot be relied upon, have been proven to not be relied upon, and that making a promise down the road is doing something that's filling this space called the planet with another imbalance. And that imbalance is that the projections we make are not realized by who we are. And what that does is it creates, you can imagine it like a cell, a cell that's out of alignment, uh, a cancerous cell. And everywhere you look on the planet, you see that that particular kind of projection has filled this space called the planet to the point where there's no room left. This very day, on the seabed, they're dividing up the seabed with the intention of releasing more resources, which they promise will help the human race survive. So in the matter of choice and responsibility, which is the step in the essential shift we're looking at today, we make choices 
and we maximize the benefit of the choices and we minimize the responsibility that we have for their consequences. And that imbalance is everywhere. Plastic is great, isn't it? Plastic, you can take a bottle of Coke and you can carry around it with you and you can even put it in a garbage can after you've finished it. But the responsibility of what happens to it after that is minimized. And it's minimized because it goes into a trash can and you don't really know where it goes from there. I remember in New York late at night when big trucks take it out to these warehouses, the warehouses take it out to depots, some of it finds its way into the ocean, but no one wants to follow that track. They want to see the benefit of an easy life. Look, I'm in our little olive grove on the Greek islands. This tree has been here probably for 30 or 40 years. Last summer, so much of the olive trees in Greece were burnt down. Let's replant them. Okay, you replant an olive tree. It takes 30 or 40 years for <coughs> the olives to be full harvests. Uh, it takes 30 or 40 years or sometimes perhaps less for trees to mature and begin to drain the carbon from the atmosphere. And so always this imbalance, this kind of cellular activity and behavior is filling the space like cancer cells. And like cancer cells, they fill the space of this planet like a metastasis. They are cancer-forming. And what you're really looking at yesterday, beyond the words, beyond the hype, is the generation of cellular cancers throughout the whole domain, which, if you believe them and think they can be adopted, in your life as real, then you become a carrier of that metastasizing process. Think about it. If you really catch what I'm saying, and I'm sorry if it sounds arrogant, but I feel very strongly, having spent my life in this work, don't just write to me and say, that was a good episode. Share it. Share it, share it, comment on, on it, ask about it. I will do everything I can. We've even made the download of this free so you can work it and become a contributing part to a different future. But if you really think COP26 is going to make a difference, I can make another video in December, but you can follow it for yourself. It will not make a difference. It is making it worse, worse, worse. How dare they? How dare they? How dare they? Thanks so much, Richard Bull, for both the invitation to the free download of your book, The Essential Shift, and also for your bringing us into the day-by-day -day unfolding of the recent global climate conference, COP26. That's a great introduction to the challenges that the world is facing in this enigma about how to work for real change. So what we're going to do next is return to Richard Bull's commentaries during the COP26 conference, choosing seven of the short daily commentaries, which really are universal in their touching on challenges here that go far beyond just one international conference 
or are facing this or that particular global challenge, but really talking about and pointing to the underlying conditions, the essential shift conditions that really need to be addressed. You'll hear these commentaries as a series of short clips, each broken by a beep. And one thing I want you to notice is the birds singing in the background. They add a firm reminder to the stakes that are in play here of the real dangers that are facing our planet and require this fundamental shift in consciousness about profound interconnection and all that implies about our behaviors. And keep in mind that the context of this series of comments is the day-to-day unfoldings at the recent COP26 International Climate Conference and how those represent important generalities about where we continue to fall short. So over now to that short series of clips with Richard Bull. Let's try and link yesterday's uh, essential shift session with today's. We were saying yesterday that the space inside the human where we can think and deliberate, have conferences, forums, discussions, has been out of balance in the human history. Going back, if you want, to the Industrial Revolution, where we found ways to explore and increase our choices, but not in responsible ways. The consequence of this has been what we see today, the breakdown of the planet. If you accept the kind of solutions that are being offered in COP26, more promises, you're, ex- you're accepting that that imbalance that we've been using in the outside world now occupies the inside world. So we're now saying, or they are now saying, we're going to give up coal. We're going to uh, have no carbon emissions by 2030, 40, 50, 60, 70. But none of it is responsible. It's just about doing less harm. And this is the first shift to see, to actually see that by agreeing to what's being said at COP26, you're agreeing to become a carrier of that imbalance, that virus of imbalance inside yourself that will finally lock the inner human in misalignment to the world. And I want you to note one thing, and I'm going to follow up on this tomorrow, is that nothing that's being said empowers you or me or the person next door to do anything. It's all being orchestrated from the level of government and industry and finance that have proven itself in one thing over hundreds of years, and most recently in the last 50 years, since we've begun to know about these consequences, is that what they do is harming the world and the human in the world. And if you can just see it, it neutralizes that contagion spreading inside the human where we will see the next step of the essential shift takes place. It's only when you're free of serving the ongoing metastasis, as we said yesterday, of locking all space by using it up in this out of balance 
of choice and no responsibility. So this is about becoming free inside yourself to find a new direction, a new alignment, a new evolutionary next step. Okay, I hope I see you tomorrow with friends and everyone you direct here. We're on a path. We're now looking at COP26 through level four of the essential shift. Hopefully you've got your free copy of this being offered by the Global Center. It's called The Essential Shift. And let's try and see what's been going on yesterday in the COP26. Now, I'm sat next to an almond tree, and there are roots in the ground, and there's all this growth upwards with leaves that collect impressions from the air. And in a couple of months, the buds will come out and these incredible flowers will bloom. And it's probably the best metaphor. It's been used throughout the ages to describe the human growth. We are spreading leaves and spreading uh, branches, but it has to come to something. And when the COP26 should have come to something by now, it hasn't. It's gone back to spreading leaves and branches and making promises that can't be fulfilled. And it has not focused itself on what it means for the human race to flower in a process. And the word I want to put with it at level four, which we began to talk about yesterday, is honesty. Honesty to purpose. A tree like this is honest to its purpose. That sequence will be repeated forever unless this planet fails completely on account of our destruction. Humans are not honest to purpose. The COP26 is not addressing what it means for the human to grow up and become whole in our address to the planet. And I want to take one feature that happened yesterday at COP26. It was money day. That's what they call it, money day. Millions, billions, trillions being promised. All at the level of the first self, as if the planet could be bought back, purchased, but we don't have in the second and third self the human response that brings our association with the planet to a new level. And that level is about our honesty, about what it means to live on the planet. And let me leave this short session, please follow it up with the book and the further sessions, but with this short short thought. Are we here for the planet, or is the planet here for us? Are we here to grow up, to become full as humans, which means to become conscious of our purpose being here? Or is the planet here for us to do with what we want? Until we're honest about that purpose, this conference fails to make the slightest bit of difference. Calling all young leaders, leaders young at heart, leaders who do not think they know the answers to tell others, but people who in their heart and mind are willing to discover a new starting point. There is some great news 
and it began about three years ago, and it got birthed, if you could say that, during the course of this conference, COP26. Myself and some of my uh, research partners from the UN and other um, uh, voluntary organizations, we did sessions at American universities and in Europe about conscious world citizens, which we were just talking about. And they went very well, and people were very inspired, and they wanted more, but something wasn't in place, which is that when we talked about the Sustainable Development Goals, climate change, people were a little bit in and out at that time. Is this really the reality of our situation? Why does it really affect us? What's happened in this week is similar to what happened with the Sustainable Development Goals when the United Nations said our lifestyles are no longer sustainable. Humans on this planet are no longer sustainable. Now, what we're hearing is that this level of thinking that we come from, which is demonstrated inside the conference hall, is no longer one that can make the slightest difference. Einstein said it famously, the significant challenges you face cannot be solved at the same level of thinking you were at when you created them. We've started today what we began two years ago, and now we're putting it out publicly, not just through a few universities, the Young Conscious World Citizen Movement of Change. And it's against this background uh, that we're going to be sharing this program on the essential shift with universities around the world, uh, even businesses around the world. Everyone can find a young heart in this. Um, social activist groups, environmental groups. I did it at the United Nations myself to ambassadors and diplomats. And we're going to be doing it but we need a team <clears throat> of teachers and leaders to do it around the world. I don't know how many thousands we're going to need. Every city, every village, every area is going to need someone. We're going to post the letter on this site, read it. If you know someone who you think would love to do this, tell them to watch the videos first and then contact us. We're not telling you or anyone what to do. We're right alongside you, right alongside you. Thank you, thank you. So hello everyone, it's Tuesday. I'm on the Greek islands following this sequence of making a commentary on COP26 from the standpoint of the essential shift. If you haven't been following these, go back to the beginning and see what was said at the beginning of COP26 when I said very categorically what was going to happen, exactly that has happened, and I'm now going to try to show how this is going to unfold now and in the weeks ahead. With this book, you can download it. Don't miss the link at the bottom. The essential shift is in here, plus the 17 SDGs, Sustainable Development Goals, are in here, alongside our own work, which was sent out by the United Nations across the world, showing the way 
to look at the essential shift for each of the SDGs, download it, work it together. And I'm going to tell you why it's so important, why it's so absolutely important. You have already changed the world, many of you young people. Uh, you've changed the world, but perhaps not in the way that you think you have, because the essential shift shows another perception. It shows what to see when you look from a higher perspective. You change the world by changing the field of consciousness. I've been in this work since I was 23, after I left university, where I did philosophy, I went on a pathway of trying to understand consciousness and the future, and now it's clear that the future is happening. When, Greta, you sat outside that school, oh, some of us were so proud, not of you personally, but of the action of actually engaging in a field of consciousness and believing somehow that that seemingly innocuous action could resonate around the world. Now see what's already gathered, people from all over the world, different nations, it's not gender biased, it's not racially biased, it's an open and new human gathering. So don't look for results inside the conference hall. The conference is full of what cannot be done anymore. Realize that as you keep your actions and ways clean and pristine and inside the consciousness of what's next, and the way some of you are talking is so wonderful, as you do, you are changing the world. We are changing the world. For the last 10 days or so, we've been tracking the COP26 conference through the essential shift, which is part of this book that's available as a free download to you. And if you remember, the process of the essential shift began with pressure and ease from pressure, awareness and meaning, and the way that the members in the conference tried to accelerate some kind of very quick result. So if you go through it, you'll see that these commentaries have been absolutely on point. And now here we are with two days to go, and this is where it's going to land. It's come back to pressure and ease. The conference has not reached the kind of goals it had set, it, can, it cannot. And the nature of the pressure has moved to a more critical level, which is that the pressure is blame. And blame will divide the world and is dividing the communities of the world and promises, those who are in a position to make bolder promises, whether they're fulfilled or not. Blame and promises, pressure and ease. There will be a spin put on the whole thing, of course. It can't be seen to be a complete failure. But even then, the people involved will not do the essential work of the essential shift, which is to go back 
through the territory of the last ten days and farm the produce from it to begin to see what the human failing has been that could be redirected along the line of growth. To transform the world, one first of all needs to transform oneself. And that means to begin this journey of growth. On Sunday, we're going to launch the Conscious World Citizen Movement, where we're going to go through all of these seven elements of the essential shift week by week. We want to begin with a 100,000 people. And it can be done with your help. Just a call, just sending someone these videos, just reading the book and sending someone a paragraph from it and say, be on the call on Sunday. Because it is the only challenge left, which is to evolve inside oneself to become the future or as famous people have said, to be the change. Hopefully see you there. For the last couple of weeks, we've been making daily broadcasts about the COP26 conference through this book. In particular, the section of this book called The Essential Shift. And through The Essential Shift, we've been able to predict actually what each day would lead to on the next day and the next day. It is actually completely predictable when you can see it from another level of thinking. We said on the first day, this conference cannot succeed at the level of its thinking. And here we are on the last day of the conference, which will inevitably go into some further stressed, one more day, more pressure, no time left, scenario, which will also not work. But what perhaps we can see is that it not working takes the human inside themselves to the fact that we have to stop thinking we can fix this world by throwing money, millions, billions, trillions at these problems and see that the world can only change inside ourselves. And on Sunday, we're going to launch globally the work we've done with the United Nations uh, called Conscious World Citizens, it's a movement of change. But let me just read you one paragraph from this book, which will be coming out shortly. And it says this, people ask where to go they want to know what way is forward. They wonder what can change the world and how to address the critical challenges of our times. Looking everywhere, but where change really begins, which is inside oneself. And this is where the conference will end. When you farm the experience of these two weeks, that is the gem that comes out of this conference, that it offers a new starting point. Forget the documents being written. They will make no difference. It's too late. But it's not too late to start again inside yourself. 
And that's where the conscious world citizen movement of change begins. So these broadcasts will continue showing not why the past doesn't work, but in what way the future can unfold. Thank you. Thank you. Yesterday we talked about the need to farm. What can be seen from this COP26 conference? It's so important because as was predicted through the essential shift process, if you've taken the trouble to really work it in yourself and see what's being said, is that what is the outcome is entirely predictable from the level of thinking that the conference took place at. And now, as was said yesterday, today we're looking at blame and promises. Who's to blame for watering it down, for not being committed enough, to make those who are not to blame look that little bit better? And who should promise what? given the fact that all previous promises have fallen short. And why should the world believe more promises for people from people who haven't changed? We are going to share this work with the world and we invite you to join us or to remain in the ignorant processes that are going on, which have already begun about COP27 which is what we began with just over two weeks ago. Are you going to wait for COP27? Change, transformation begins inside the now. And as we said, and as the United Nations shared around the world from our book, to transform the world, we must first transform ourselves. So simply fill out the box, get engaged, share it with others, because this movement of change is about to accelerate to a new level. And it is being offered work that was done at the United Nations with ambassadors in universities around the world is now packaged, if you want, in a way that's accessible to everyone. So please, you have a choice to stay in the predictable and do more of the same, or to make the effort to transform yourself, to transform the world. It's up to you. Well, thank you so much again, Richard Bull, for that series of insights about the needed consciousness shift and how we are behaving that keeps us so often from really getting to the resolutions that we need and where the emphases need to be for real change. And for those listening, remember that the download link for the Essential Shift download is at the Voice America show page for this program, exactly at the page you access to listen to this broadcast. The link is in the program description and also in Richard Bull's biography at the show page. So be sure and take this opportunity to download the book. If you happen to be listening to the broadcast after the gifting period, December 15 to 27th, just go to richardabull.org to see how to obtain the book and or read more secondary material about it. And you will find there a short summary of the ways in which you can take part 
in the work of the conscious world citizens. So we're going to close out this section with Richard Bull by a short few-minute segment where he further summarizes the knowingly or unknowingly behaviors by which we continue to evade central issues in our global crises and turn instead to promises, blame, and spin, and how the Essential Shift Program addresses this. So over now to that. Now, what's happened so far? Right, the G20 session and the leaders all either blaming implicitly or explicitly each other, the past, other countries, trying to defend what they've done. And here's the point. They're using a system in the human, which is a very old system, based on pressure and ease. Try and watch for it. Watch the language of it. Watch the way it goes on. Watch the fact that they're now creating a pressure to lower expectation. They're now creating a pressure to blame certain countries for not doing this or that. And as the week will go on, they will try to release that pressure and show that they have got somewhere. It's called spin, it's called, well, you know. Now, this is the base level of the nervous system, pressure and ease. Is what fight and flight operates on. Everyone is being put into a mild state of fear about the consequences of not doing anything. The fact is, it's very easy what we need to do. Greta Thunberg, as an example, 18 years old, sees exactly what to do. You don't finance the coal industry. You don't do this, you don't do that. But everyone is protecting a system of pressure and ease and working that system from the position of their authority. So today's communication is about pressure and ease. Watch it. Watch it go on today. Watch the language of it. As we go through the week, I want to share with you the spiritual unfolding, the consciousness unfolding of where we humans need to be to first of all see what's the real issue, and secondly, to do something about it from in here and not wait for out there. Well, thanks so much to Richard Bowl and his colleagues at the Global Center for Human Evolutory Change and ConsciousWorldCitizens.org for such an uncompromising approach to our planet's need for radical structural change. And as they say, change that can only come from truly comprehending the depth that with the change is needed. We want to spend just a little bit more time on that, pointing to some other points of light within the United Nations community that can tell us a bit about what is going on there that is succeeding, perhaps in this way or that. And as we and our guests have just said, the urgency of these times certainly causes us to assess what international organizations are doing, and the effectiveness that is so sorely needed at this time. So I wanted to bring in, to close out this section, someone from the United Nations community who can update us a bit more exactly on what is going on there, not only in the face of so many challenges, but how they appear to recognize and address 
this underlying need for a fundamental consciousness shift about our global humanity and oneness. So I'm here with the Reverend Dr. Joni Carley, who is vice chair of the NGO Major Group Cluster for Global Citizenship, a member of the Committee of Religious NGOs, the UN NGO Major Group Commons Cluster, and recently also on the executive committee for the Coalition for the United Nations We Need. So Dr. Carley, what can you share with us regarding awareness in the United Nations community about this fundamental need for consciousness shift? And what are some of the pointers that show some optimism in this regard? Well, I wanna start with some history first. The UN Charter and the Declaration of Human Rights both lay out first principles. First principles are things like peace and justice. And those are issues of consciousness. Former UN Secretary General Kofi Annan wrote about the need to work from a deeper level beyond programs and projects. And before him, the second UN Secretary General, Doc Hammarskjöld, wrote and spoke at length about consciousness. The UN's Education, Science and Culture Office, UNESCO's motto is building peace in the minds of men and women. And that ties us back to consciousness. So recognizing the role of consciousness in the UN's work is not new but that recognition appears to be growing. There are more and more people everywhere, including at the UN, who recognize the same thing, that projects and programs will never be enough, that the primary work is in the realm of consciousness. And that conversation has expanded tremendously since I started working at the UN in 2007. Back then I was facilitating visionary leadership dialogues and there was a really strong prejudice around the UN against discussing intangibles like consciousness. And it was everywhere, not just at the UN, but it was particularly strong there. And that prejudice is still there, but it's nothing like it was. So I'm optimistic because you used to have to be careful about who you talked about transformation with. And now there are officially sanctioned initiatives and offices that are geared toward exactly that. So there's a heightened awareness there and everywhere else right now on the planet that the world's at a tipping point and that our consciousness will determine how it goes. Consciousness is root causal. It's the catalyst for everything we do. You could say it's the catalyst for everything everywhere. The world we want will manifest according to how we manage ourselves in the domain of consciousness. The culture we all want to live in can only come about to the extent that our consciousness accommodates it. And I'm optimistic because what I see happening at the UN is what I'm seeing happening everywhere. There's an arising collective recognition of ourselves as one earth community that is interdependently co-arising with everyone, and everything else on the planet. And that's what I like to think of as global citizenship consciousness. And I'm optimistic because I've seen increasing clarity and alignment around global citizenship principles, like principles like equitable access to resources, honoring our interdependency, and recognizing that our finest resources are not material. I'm optimistic because I see growing recognition at the UN and around the world of the rights for all global citizens to go to bed safe, fed, and warm, just basics. And I'm optimistic 
about the UN right now because the global interconnectivity that was exposed by COVID has left no doubt about our interdependence. And it's moved us closer to understanding ourselves as one global citizenry. You can really say that COVID has raised our global citizenship consciousness. And I want to make the point that global citizenship is not just pushing back against conditions like pollution and corruption. It's about establishing a culture that no longer accommodates those conditions. And to get a culture, you've got to change consciousness. Global citizenship consciousness recognizes that every sentient being shares equal value in the interdependent weave of life, and that every sentient being has the right to live life fully in internal and external peace. Global citizenship is only one way of naming what's really been a growing and universal longing for a new normal. We all want a new normal that's better aligned with what people really value. Things like relationships, vitality, freedom, and beauty. The pandemic has unleashed unprecedented potential to hit the reset button. And the idea of global citizenship that's, that's so prevalent around the UN gives us a fresh place to stand so that we stop defining our next evolutionary stage in terms of just fixing the old one. The term global citizenship, and it's not the only term used, it's the one I'm using today, but, but history will really name it. But the term global citizenship helps to articulate a new zero point, a new set point that's set for all global citizenship, all global citizens to thrive. Just like a lab dish culture won't grow certain things, a global citizenship culture would just simply not accommodate norms that violate first principles like justice. The term global citizenship identifies a common good-based zero point. It's consistent with universal values. It's consistent with international ethical standards and with spiritual and religious teachings throughout times. And it aligns with our inner moral compasses. So even though these are ancient principles, global citizenship actually articulates a new ontological ground, a new ground of being that's being developed by organizations like the Coalition for the UN We Need, the Stimson Center, which is a think tank, Civicus, a, a civil society organization, the People's Campaign, and many, many other like-minded global citizenship-oriented organizations. This new ground is also very much in alignment and, 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 and displays what the Secretary General's UN 75 report and his very robust follow-up report called Our Common Agenda outline. They both set some very transformational benchmarks that now have to be reported out on every year by the SG's office and the Secretary General's office. And that's groundbreaking that there's actually a system of reporting on this transformational urge that's, that's emerging. So I'm optimistic because the UN 75 agenda lays out a very progressive way forward and it's been signed on to by many organizations representing millions of people, and it's been signed on by nation states, many, many nation states, most of the UN. There's a growing international call for a new global order, for new structures, new beliefs, new assumptions, new values, and new ethics, and new ideals that put universal values and common good at the core. And the last thing I wanna talk about is that I'm also optimistic because I see increasing recognition that accomplishing the sustainable development goals is a matter of developing our commons consciousness. There's, glow, there's growing clarity that the sustainable development goals 
will never be realized by accomplishing one goal at a time because the world's interwoven such that we, we can't achieve one goal until we achieve them all. None of us are gonna live in compliance with the sustainable development goals until all of us do. I'm most optimistic because the United Nations is the only place in the world where people are coming together under one roof for the explicit purpose of creating the peaceful, just, and compassionate world that our hearts and souls long for. I know that we have what we need to make the transformation we need, and I know that now's the time. And I see a UN that's already take, readying itself to step up to the task. Well, thanks so much, Dr. Joni Carley, for closing out this section with our guests from the United Nations community. And there's a full biography for the Reverend Dr. Carley at the Voice America show page. Now, we'll be back in just a moment to continue our discussion with our next groups of guests after this short message from the Global Center for Human Evolutory Change and ConsciousWorldCitizens.org. Everybody now is aware that this world is on the precipice of complete breakdown. And it is clear that our level of thinking about solutions simply will not create a new world until we see that it is ourselves and our inner world that manifests external problems from an inner sense of chaos and lack of purpose. A conscious world citizen is a person who has rejoined the line of life, who puts themselves in a position to make a conscious contribution to a very different kind of future. The word conscious indicates that it is the human upgrade and elevation of their purpose that can make a real significant change to the world without which we can only manifest more of the same. Welcome back to the Convergence on Voice America. This is your host, Dr. Kurt Johnson. A big thank you to all of our guests from the United Nations community. And so we want to go over now to our next set of guests who represent one of the long-term cutting edges of consciousness shift understanding. And this is the work and community that has grown from the legacy of astronaut Edgar Mitchell, the sixth man to walk on the moon. As many of you know, Mitchell was deeply moved by the view of Earth from space, what has come to be called the overview effect. The understanding that came to him from that about our unity and our fragility was so compelling that he founded the Institute of Noetic Sciences, which is headquartered in Petaluma, California. Also known as IONS, its work has been broad and dramatic since that initial founding in 1973. One of the great studies of our human understanding and need for change that has become a classic is the famous ION-sponsored book, Global Mind Change by Dr. Willis Harmon. So we wanted to take this opportunity to speak to the chairman at IONS, who also worked closely with both Edgar Mitchell and Willis Harmon. 
Claudia Wells. And we're going to ask her the same question that we have asked all of our guests. So let's go over to that now. And as with all of our guests, Claudia Wells' full biography is at the Voice America show page. Okay, I'm here with Claudia Wells, the chairman of the Institute of Noetic Sciences. And we want to ask her to respond to the central question of this Voice America special. We all agree that without a major shift in consciousness across our species worldwide, we will not be able to achieve the ambitious and needed structural and functional changes that are necessary to save our species from a likely step-by-step extinction. So with regard to that, first, where do you start with your understanding of this need for the major shift in consciousness? That is, what are your basic understandings and epiphanies that testify to this need for such a major consciousness shift? And secondly, where do you go with that? That is, what are your programs, plans, activities, visions, and so on in this direction to actually help make it happen? Hi, Kurt. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's always such a joy to be on these programs with you. I'd like to start by sharing how fundamentally my understanding has changed. I used to see humanity as a failed experiment because of how we treated each other and nature. But my understanding has shifted 180 degrees to where I now see us instead as one of the most important experiments in the universe with just huge potential for benefiting all life. One of the reasons for that shift was when I was working on creating structural change in the world, as many of us do, Willis Harmon, who was then president of the Institute of Noetic Sciences, or IONS, shared with me the difference between addressing the symptoms of our crises and addressing their root cause, which is the consciousness that's manifesting as crisis in just about every domain of our experience right now. Willis knew, as the mystic poet Rumi knew, that everything we see has roots in the unseen world. So to elevate the conditions of the seen world, we need to elevate the unseen consciousness giving rise to it, the one that's based on a fundamental belief in separation where we're separate from each other, from nature, where Earth is alone in the universe, the one that's perpetuated by the dominant scientific materialist paradigm and that, you know, the modern world is built on. Thankfully, a new paradigm based on the quantum sciences is beginning to impact our collective awareness just in time with evidence of a different reality in which the separation we see is really just an optical delusion. And the truth is a fundamental unity pervading everything. But for now, we still have the challenge that, you know, when we try to talk together about shifting human consciousness from a practical perspective, we still can't even agree on answers to basic questions like, what is consciousness? Is it an epiphenomenon of the brain? Meaning, does the brain produce it or is consciousness causal of everything? And where is consciousness? Is it in us or are we in it? How do we intentionally shift consciousness given what we think we know? Ed Mitchell, who you mentioned in your introduction, Kurt, founded IONS almost 50 years ago to answer those questions because 
he believed their answers would determine if civilization even had a future. And I worked with Ed at IAMS for many years, where it's our mission to scientifically prove the hypothesis that the true nature of reality is fundamentally interconnected. It's not about proving that the materialist scientific paradigm is wrong. In fact, that one worked so precisely, it got Ed to the moon and back. And it's now bringing us into the second golden age of space. So it's not wrong, but it's, it's incomplete, dangerously incomplete. And it's representative of a consciousness we can't bring into space with us, which is why I'm also on the board of Space for Humanity, because the expansion of human consciousness has to lead our physical expansion into space. And it was Ed's trip to space that revealed that to him. As the lunar module pilot for the Apollo 14 mission, Ed was famous in the 20th century for walking on the moon, but he's becoming even more famous now in this century for his unique experience of the overview effect, a term coined by space philosopher Frank White, in which a profound experience of awe created by seeing Earth from the vantage point of space expanded Ed's perception from seeing things in their separateness to having an embodied awareness of the oneness of all life and of humanity's potential in a conscious living universe. Most importantly, he perceived an unseen order and meaning in which agape love or unconditional love is the organizing principle of the entire universe something the ancients also perceived, and how completely out of phase we are with that. So in this conversation, I like to focus on what I consider the simplicity on the other side of all the complexity by describing the shift that's needed as a change of heart, in which we consciously choose to operate not through a love of power the way we're used to, operating, but to cooperate with the power of love. And by that, I mean, not just the kind of love that we're used to talking about or the physical actions that it inspires as important as they are, but with the organizing principle itself, what we might even consider the love that is the source of our own love. The way D.H. Lawrence wrote about it was beautiful. He said, what a maiming of love when it was made merely personal feeling. We're bleeding at the roots because we're cut off from the earth and sun and stars. Love has become a mockery because poor blossom, we plucked it from its stem on the tree of life and expected it to keep on blooming in our civilized vase on the table. Or the love that spiritual philosopher and scientist Teilhard de Chardin referred to when he wrote, someday, after mastering the winds, the waves, the tides, and gravity, which we've largely already done, we'll harness the energies of love. And then, for a second time in the history of the world, man will have discovered fire. We know poets and spiritual philosophers have recognized the power of this kind of love through the ages, and increasingly, science is working to demonstrate the reality of it and to discover how it can help our species reach a tipping point. 
And um, I'm involved with two quick examples I can share in my last couple of minutes. The first is the overview effect study that we're conducting with the University of California, San Diego, where we're using a virtual reality experience produced at ions and based on Ed Space Epiphany to study both subjective evidence and objective biometric correlates of transformation in the participant to discover how experiences of awe catalyze direct perceptions of oneness. So we can increase access to that perception for all of us in practical everyday life in ways that could transform our reality because this isn't a drill anymore as we're all coming to realize. The other example is the Global Consciousness Project 2.0, a collaboration between IONS and the HeartMath Institute's Global Coherence Initiative, building on decades of scientific research on the energetics of heart coherence, which is the physiological signature of love in the human system. And in this project, we're using new global networks of sensitive instruments to observe correlations between the movements of a critical mass of collective emotion, particularly the coherent regenerative emotions of love and gratitude, joy and compassion, and how these energies may directly impact our external physical environment. Here too, we're building on decades of compelling data from GCP 1.0, and this Citizen Science Initiative will be open to everyone from everywhere to help scientifically demonstrate the organizing power of love. And if you're interested in participating, uh, please write to me at the email in my bio and put Voice America in the subject line. But my bottom line is that our world is built on obsolete operating principles. There's no question about that, only what will replace them. And I believe, Kurt, that in the emerging paradigm, we'll finally realize that while, of course, we have to act decisively in the physical scene world, the most profound action we can take is energetically syncing up with nature's operating principles by embodying the higher spectrum frequencies of consciousness, as Willis Harmon called them, because nothing changes until we do. So we can break through this illusion of separation and involve our world through a change of heart. We already know how to do it. We just need to do it together. And Kurt, thanks so much for having me on. Well, a big thanks to Claudia Wells, the chairman at the Institute of Noetic Sciences. And there's a full bio for Claudia at the Voice America show page. Now, we've had another unique opportunity for this discussion and that is to speak to several members of the board of directors of the Friends of the Institute of Noetic Sciences, which is located in New York City. It's a unique opportunity because that board is made up of multiple individuals who each lead their own transformational and activist organizations, but who all share a deep alignment with the vision of the Institute of Noetic Sciences. And these include, in the order we'll be speaking with them, Rick Ulfick, the founder of We.net, We the World, We Power America, and the annual 11 Days of Global Unity celebrations across the wider United Nations community. Robert Levine, a part of We.net, New York's Integral Yoga Center, 
and also the editor-in-chief of We.net's Trends Magazine, Dr. Ron Friedman and Victoria Friedman, the co-founders of the Vistar Foundation, which for 30 years has studied collective consciousness. Alan Steinfeld, the founder of New Realities TV and its prolific YouTube channel, and author of the recent book, Making Contact, Preparing for the New Realities of Extraterrestrial Existence. And Mitchell J. Rabin, the founder and producer of A Better World Radio and TV in New York City. And finally, Drs. J.J. and Desri Hurtak, well-known authors and the founders of the Academy for Future Science. Fuller bios for all of these guests are at the Voice America show page. So along with me, we have nine further views of this question about the needed consciousness shift. So let's go to that discussion now, which we recorded together as a group. Okay, I'm here with the nine members of the Friends of the Institute of Noetic Sciences Board of Directors, and we want each of them to respond to this question. We all agree that without a major shift in consciousness across our species worldwide, we will not be able to achieve the ambitious and needed structural and functional changes that are necessary to save our species from a likely step-by-step extinction. So for each of you, first, where do you start with your understanding of this need for a major shift in consciousness? That is, what are your basic understandings and epiphanies that testify to this need for such a major consciousness shift? And secondly, where do you go with that? That is, what are your programs, plans, activities, visions, and so on in this direction to actually make this happen. So let's start with Rick Ulfick, founder of We the World, We.net, and We Power America. So over to Rick. Well, thank you, Kurt. For me and many of us, it's all about promoting we. We consciousness prioritizes the common good. Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who has been a long time supporter of We the World once said in a video for us, we invite you to join us in a movement without which all the other movements for change cannot be successful. The crucial movement we are talking about is the shift from I to we. And I agree with him. If we consciousness and the common good was the prevailing dynamic in our society, our political system would look very different. The vast inequalities we see now would be culturally intolerable. And people, companies, our major institutions and political leaders would be pulling together to address the climate crisis. So let's make that needed cultural shift. We the world is working on that with 11 campaigns for change at we.net. And we really can use your support to launch our newest campaign that Kurt mentioned, We Power America Renewable Energy Media Campaign and Movement. It's designed to mobilize at least 2 million people to accelerate the transition to renewable energy while also promoting We Power 
the power of people coming together to transform their society. To get involved, go to we.net slash WPA for We Power America. And of course, you can connect to all we're doing at we.net. Let's go from a me-based society to a we-based society to accomplish what Jonathan Granoff said when we launched the We campaign in 2009. He said, I hope we expand so much that there is no longer any them. Thank you. No, Rick, thanks so much to you. And so now let's go to Robert Levine, who among so many other things is the editor-in-chief of Trends Magazine. So over to Robert. Thank you, Kurt. We'll all agree we're facing unprecedented problems. Global warming, what more can you say? But also the rise of autocratic um, governments, um, proliferation of violence on a scale we've never quite seen before. We look to the past often for solutions. We might turn and say, well, this happened in the 30s. This happened in the 16th century. And that's true, but it's on a scale and a dimension that we've never quite faced before. The concern we have is we're using the same language from the 18th century. Right and left doesn't really have as much relevance. Capitalist, socialist, that's, that's an issue, that's part of the discussion, but it's not the main issue that we need to confront. So many of us are turning to the term socialist, but yet so many socialist governments practice the same violence in terms of the environment, warfare towards minorities as the capitalist systems do. We need a new language. We need a new way to define ourselves to basically address our problems. Our first step is letting go of the old concepts to become creative and open enough and um, to start to have a dialogue where we start creating the new concepts. We need to be creative and that's where the artist comes in because there should be no separation from the artist and the political scientist. I happen to be both, but you've got to be creative. You've got to be open to new terms, to new ideas, and start to redefine the dialogue and the discussion. That's part of what we achieve, or we try to achieve, in the magazine I edit, trends um, at trends.we.net. We need to have the discussion to change our consciousness We've got to also change our language and change the way we think and change the way we talk. And that's what I reach out to people and try to have that discussion. So thanks so much, Kurt. I appreciate being here to speak about this. Well, thank you so much, Robert, too. And let's go now to each of the founders of the Vistar Foundation, starting with Dr. Ron Friedman. So over to Ron. Thank you, Kurt. <clears throat> The events that demand a shift in humanity's consciousness and conscience are coming at us rapidly and inexorably on both cosmic and global scale. We are confronted directly with the presence of an extraterrestrial intelligence that will require a huge shift in our understanding of what we are and our role in the universe. Equally on a cosmic scale, Quantum physics is pulling from us the security blankets of space and time and revealing startling discoveries 
about our role as co-creators of reality in a partnership with the most fundamental forces in the universe. The alarming and widespread emergence of irrational and conspiratorial thinking is a global phenomenon of great concern. Without a shared agreement and re-examination of the identity, meaning, and value of human life as a starting point to construct a society, any attempt to approach a particular problem on any scale will lead to unforeseeable and unintended consequences. Aside from my own interests in the arts and specifically the use and significance of poetry, my primary focus over the years with Victoria Friedman has been the founding of a nonprofit organization called Vistar. In an upcoming book, we describe our many years' experience with small group gatherings and an evolutionary meeting structure called the Vistar Method. We have found that these meetings both accelerate individual and group spiritual growth, and most importantly, serve as a springboard to the experience of the power and potential of our collective consciousness. To share this transformative information is my passion, vision, and commitment. Well, thanks so much, Dr. Ron Friedman. And now let's go to Victoria Friedman. Thank you, Kurt. Where do I start to see the need for a shift in consciousness? Well, frankly, I just need to look around at the world. That a shift is needed is obvious. But the nature of that shift, what the nature of that shift is, that is not so clear. We live in a materialistic perspective, passed down to us for I can't say how long. The idea that we're independent, separate individuals, and that life should be as we think it should be, contrary to what is. And there's so many unexamined, agreed-upon assumptions that make it difficult, if not impossible, to work together for survival or even common good. What if, what if, the possible answer to the seeming problems on this planet is not primarily, primarily in eradicating the problems. What if, what if it is in recognizing that we are not isolated human beings, but a force field of awareness that is whole, indivisible, and omnipresent? That view would naturally open up more real solutions in service to that whole. So the name of our organization, Vistar, points to the view from the star. We've come to realize that the next step of humanity's evolutionary development involves collective unity consciousness. To that end, we are launching our book on the Vistar Method in 2022. The Vistar Method emerged from 18 years of collective meeting explorations. It includes guidelines, and its purpose is to reveal the field of collective consciousness as a living reality. Also, to deepen the inner view of identity, we offer 
our beloved practice that we have been involved with for over 40 years. It's called meditation, and it's a daily spiritual adjustment. It has been a part of all our programs. And it is our joy, especially, to express the vista view in spontaneous art, in poetry, and co-creative presentations. Thank you for your presence. Oh, thank you, Victoria. And now let's go to Alan Steinfeld, who's the producer and host of New Realities TV and the truly prolific New Reality YouTube channel. So, Alan? Thank you, Kurt. Uh, I follow some of the sentiments expressed here, especially by my colleague, Ron, because I think we don't have to talk about consciousness as much as we have to talk about conscience. How much moral understanding can we have to know that we share the same time, space, and resources on this beautiful planet? That takes an inner understanding of our moral fiber, what is right in the world, what is the right way to treat each other. Secondly, I think that we have to realize if we're all connected, that we're part of this greater understanding of life and that life is not a freak appearance of a dead universe, that we live in a universe abundant with life. And we need a new science to prove that and to show that life is an emergent property of creation. And if we do that, we can see the earth itself as a living, pulsing, breathing Gaia, which has given us the most beautiful, idyllic place to call our home. And if we don't find that truth, that we are part of a greater universe, we need to demand that. We need to petition governments to come forward and to say that what they know about our visitors, our friends, that they've hidden in the name of national security. We no longer can afford national security when the security of the planet is at risk. So another thing I feel we need to do is embrace the unknown, which will open our minds to these other beings. And we need to find the courage to reach beyond our comfort zones, because we don't reach beyond those comfort zones. They're not going to be comfortable for too long. So I want to quote the great German poet Relke, who says, we must accept our reality as vastly as we possibly can. Everything, even the unprecedented, must be possible within us. This is the only kind of courage that is required of us, the courage to face the strangest, most unusual, and most inexplicable experiences that can meet us. So I think our job at this crucial nexus point in history is to realize that we need a new relationship with the heavens above and the earth below. We need to welcome a greater reality and know that we are the stewards of this great planet Earth that has nourished us into life and that we are ready for the meeting of a, of a greater life beyond this planet, the greater intelligence beyond this planet. So in a way, we are here to make a new heaven and the new Earth. So just to conclude, as I say in my book, Making Contact, which is about UFOs and meeting the others, that first we have to make contact with ourselves the others, the earth, and then only then will it be possible to make contact with something beyond us. So thank you very much, Kurt. Yeah, thank you, Alan, and particularly for bringing that just entirely cosmocentric worldview to it all. That's definitely what's emerging. So let's go now to Mitchell J. Raven, who's the host and producer of A Better World Radio and TV. 
Mitchell? Thanks, Kurt. And no big surprise that I agree wholeheartedly with my colleagues here. And uh, Mr. Gurdjieff is the one who has so forcefully reminded us of not only just of the importance of consciousness, but of conscience, which is really what steers our hearts. Uh, this question that you posed, Kurt, cuts to the core of what is either human potential self-creation or self-demise. Either we evolve as I believe Gaia and universe incline us toward, or we can crawl back down into the rabbit hole or might be a groundhog hole and wait. I don't really think we have that luxury. Problem. As a species, we stopped listening to the intuitive signals from Gaia and opted instead to think that we're separate and superior. Both of these reflecting a primitive understanding of reality, leading, as we all know, to the literal destruction of our ecosystem and each other. Solution, a major shift in consciousness, yes. How? The shock and fear of our own demise, perhaps, awakening us to gratitude for being alive and able to love as happens with the near-death experience, emerging by respecting all of life. Or perhaps it can happen through the use of plant medicine that radically alters consciousness, giving direct experience of the divine so that one is never quite the same, accompanied by a deep sense of appreciation and humility. Or there may be a sudden enlightenment as spoken of in Zen. It could also happen by meeting a multidimensional being that inspires such awe that ordinary consciousness cannot sustain, and the novel experience quickly upgrades our frequency and consciousness. This shift opens the prefrontal cortex and the heart-mind. Where do I go with this? Well, I've been on the air in New York City and beyond since 1993, hosting A Better World Radio and TV, discussing a much-needed shift in consciousness in order to protect the planet from further destruction and to grok that Earth is but one planet in billions. And it shouldn't be too difficult to find more intelligent life in our galactic neighborhood. When we get visited, we need to be of a mind and frequency to be good hosts. My roles are a few communicating, teaching, healing, educating, and inspiring. I write articles, blogs, letters, essays. As a communicator and broadcaster, I broadcast communications. I feel will help to excite and inspire actions to build a better world. I use humor, storytelling, social enterprise as a way of bringing forward technologies that can be a bridge between where we are now and where we need to be, both on Earth and beyond. That's a quick summation of a number of my plans and activities, Kurt, toward shifting consciousness and building community, which I think is truly the essence of what we need to do and where we need to be as a human species, as a human community. Making the clarion call. So join us and become part of a better world community at abetterworld.net. Thanks so much. Yeah, Mitchell, thank you so much, and particularly for bringing such a huge holistic approach to this whole question. 
So now finally, we're going to go to the founders of the international organization, the Academy for Future Science, and starting first with Dr. Desiree Hertog. So Desiree? Right. It's great to be here, and I support all the views of our colleagues that we've just heard. I think it's so important at this time, as we've seen with climate change, with pandemic, with everything, that we need to be able to see ourselves as astronaut Edgar Mitchell, the founder of ION, saw ourselves as one humanity. When he was in space, he saw that one planet, that unity of oneness that we really all represent. And I also recall the words of Ronald Reagan when he talked before the United Nations and he said, perhaps we need some outside universal threat to make us recognize this common bond. I occasionally think how quickly our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. Now, I don't think the aliens are a threat. I think they've been here for a while, but it's that concept of how we see ourselves. We really need to see ourselves as a much greater unity. And this goes from the very basis of who we are in the household. Look how many people can't live together. My husband and I, of course, been together for you know, many, many years, I don't even talk about it, but it's it's not easy because people always see the differences. I believe that we're all unique and we need to see ourselves as that uniqueness, but then appreciate that. And that's what raises consciousness from almost looking outside yourself to seeing everyone else as part of that unity. This is so great of when we start bonding together, when we start working together, when we start seeing the harmoniousness. You know, we've worked with the indigenous people in South America, the Shavanti Indians. They actually sleep 20 to 30 in a hut, like you see dancing at wolves. They all link their minds. Their minds are almost linked as one. You can almost feel their thought forms when you work and live and spend some time with them. It's an amazing thing. We need to shift our consciousness to be part of that greater oneness that we truly are. Yes, this is an amazing moment in human history. And we're beginning to experience not only a change in consciousness, but a new consciousness cosmology. And much of this has been recently triggered by the release of Pentagon film documents showing us that we're not alone in the universe, referring to events in the year 2004 off the coast of California with American military craft, but also reinforce what happened in Campeche, Mexico, also in 2004, when over 300 vehicles appeared over the province of Campeche, many of them as large as small city Again, many of them as large as small cities cannot be seen by the human eye, but by radar, radar special cameras. In essence, this is showing a movement from what I call humankind into space kind. And along with our contributions with our colleague, Ellen Steinfeld and others, we are beginning to understand that we need a new type of approach, a type of space ethics, a positive psychology, a unity between spirituality and science that will redefine the topology that we will need as we engage with the cosmic others. And so this is really the moment in human history where I consider a jackpot, a time that we will find out, is there a divine source of life? Are there cosmic cultures close enough to our own that they can trade off scientific knowledge, educational information that can help us with this great leap of faith, 
are we approaching, as it were, a complete shift in everything we know from biology and astronomy to a higher evolutionary concept that what we represent is a microcosm of a greater consciousness reality and consciousness is the hidden variable for major shifts that are beyond statistics as we know it. In essence, we're beginning to realize that consciousness is bringing together both material evolution of the mind as well as collective consciousness of the planet. The result will be a type of new humanity we call the Homo Universalis, the universal humanity. In essence, we are being prepared to be cosmic citizens through this new consciousness. So let us prepare ourselves for even greater releases of information, both from the technical as well as the scientific, as well as from reports of former astronauts, that we are not alone, that we are part of a cosmic family, and we are being prepared for the greatest moment in human history to bring all of this together through the ethics of the mind, heart, and spirit. Well, so thank you so much, Dr. J.J. Hertog, for joining in that conversation with with Desiree, and, and to Desiree also for mentioning Edgar Mitchell and the overview effect, because listeners will remember that Claudia Wells, who's the chair at the Institute of Noetic Science, just spoke to that in our in our previous section. And as we all know, when uh, William Shatner, alias Captain Kirk, recently got his first trip into space, it was really that overview that that moved him to tears. And that actually shows that type of consciousness, global-centric, world-centric, cosmocentric, that we're going to have to move to if we're going to actually survive and thrive. So, wow, thanks to each of you so much, and not only for your being here, but what's brought by all of your organizations and understanding the need for the consciousness shift that we're talking about. And to note also that most of you are also a part of either the Evolutionary Leader Circle which is at evolutionaryleaders.net, or its circle about this discussion, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals Thought Leader Circle, which is at sdgthoughtleadercircle.org. Now, we're going to come back to wrapping this all into our larger dialogue in just a moment, right after this short message from the evolutionary leaders and their book directly on this topic, Our Moment of Choice, evolutionary visions, and hope for the future. Hello, this is Richard Cohn, publisher of Beyond Words. We are very honored to be partnering with Simon & Schuster and the Synergy Foundation to bring you a new thought-provoking book for these challenging times. It is called Our Moment of Choice, and it features 43 of the world's most well-known spiritual thinkers, offering practical solutions to the most pressing problems of our time, from economic inequality and social injustice to climate change and spiritual disconnection. Deepak Chopra offers his thoughts on how our inherent wholeness is not a choice, while Greg Braden suggests that we can change our world by first realizing that none of us are separate from each other. Lynn McTaggart investigates the link between altruism and self-healing. Michael Bernard Beckwith, Bruce Lipton, and many others share their thoughts on moving forward in ways that expand our consciousness and benefit the global community. 
Our moment of choice calls on us all to be the co-creators of a just, unified, peaceful, and thriving world. The time has come for all humanity to be united in purpose. This is our call to action. This is our collective moment of choice upon which our future depends. You can purchase your copy today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Beyond Words, or your local independent bookstore. Welcome back to the Convergence on Voice America. This is your host, Dr. Kurt Johnson. A big thank you to the diverse board of directors of the Friends of the Institute of Noetic Sciences. Those comments certainly portray the wide range of this landscape today. When it comes to this question of global consciousness, a lot has changed in just the last years since the release of the videos and technical data by the Pentagon on the Navy of the so-called UAPs or UFOs that have been trailing the U.S. military and what that might mean to our consciousness about our place in the wider cosmos. We have to be honest, as the renowned physicist Dr. Michio Kaku has since said, that before the time of these data releases by the Navy and the Pentagon, the burden of proof was on humanity to suggest that such extraordinary vehicles might come from a place other than Earth. But since the release of these videos and data by the Pentagon and Navy, Kaku says, the burden of proof is on humanity to prove that they don't. So there are so many dimensions to the discussion about the consciousness shift, and they are continually to rapidly evolve. And we must say that not even our own array of guests on this program would agree on all of them. So, okay, we're going to conclude then with interviews that represent the mainstream scientific community. And for that, our guests are the renowned evolutionary biologist, Dr. David Sloan Wilson, distinguished professor of biology and anthropology in the State University of New York system, author of a number of very well-known books, and co-founder of the Educational and Activist International Organization, ProSocial.World. ProSocial.World, which also aims at this shift in consciousness to a global we, has diverse components. So Dr. Wilson is joined by his colleague, Jeffrey Janung, a leader in the global interfaith conversation who cooperates with ProSocial World in crafting their vision and message. Their full biographies are at the Voice America show page. So let's go over now to my conversation with them, which will close out this amazing program. Okay, I'm here with Dr. David Sloan Wilson and Jeffrey Janung from ProSocial.World. We want to ask them to respond to this central question of this Voice America special. We all agree that without a major shift in consciousness across our species worldwide, we will not be able to achieve the ambitious and needed structural and functional changes that are necessary to save our species from the likelihood of a step-by-step -step extinction. So with regard to you and your organizations, first, where do you start? 
with your understanding of this need for a major shift in consciousness, that is, what are your basic understandings and epiphanies that testify to this need for such a major consciousness shift? And secondly, where do you go with that? That is, what are your programs, plans, activities, visions, and so on in this direction to actually make it happen? Well, thank you, uh, uh, Kurt. And uh, the way that I would answer that question is that um, conscious evolution, we often use the word evolution when we talk about change, and, uh, but we use it metaphorically, we, we use it broadly, and what we need to do is to use it scientifically. There's an actual science of evolution. And as we consciously evolve our future, we have to make use of the so-called hard science of evolution. Those two bodies of thought, the hard science of evolution and the, the spiritual quest to consciously evolve our future, have been remarkably isolated from each other. There's reasons for that, but the good news is that they're being brought together very, very fast. And so we could be more deliberative about consciously evolving our future. And that has both an inner and an outer component. Uh, really, as foreseen by Teilhard de Chardin and others, uh, the idea that, that evolution can be cultural in addition to genetic is what we're now in a position to actualize. And that means that our meaning systems, our symbolic meaning systems, that's what's inside our heads, uh, form a role much like our, much like our genes. And so we, we have to evolve what, what takes place on the inside in addition to what takes place on the outside, our, our social organizations, our institutions, all, all with the welfare of the whole earth in mind. So there's an outer project and an inner project. And I think I'd like to pass to Jeff to talk more about the inner project. Maybe we'll get back to the outer project. And also, Kurt, bring you in because you're a major actor in this. I'd like this to be a three-way conversation, not just a two-way conversation. But Jeff, please take your yeah. turn. Well, thanks. You know, um, the inner and the outer um, are inseparable. And so to try to impact the outer without doing inner work um, is blind. Uh, trying you know, to do inner work without impacting the outer is incomplete. So you know, as the saying goes, contemplation and action are two sides of the same coin. But in terms of uh, a change in consciousness on a large scale, which is going to be necessary for wide-scale change, it's already begun. There's evidence of it, and it's been facilitated by the pandemic. So there's at least three fundamental uh, things that have uh, successfully begun to shift large-scale human consciousness as a result of the pandemic. One is the realization of how frail we are as human beings. Um, we're very sensitive, and we know this now. Um, the second is the realization of our interdependence with everyone around the world. It, it is so clear now. And then the third, and maybe the most important, is the need for cooperation. And for you know, probably a lot of you listening, maybe this isn't new, but for a lot of people, these three things are new. They're actually a change in consciousness. 
And it's that change in consciousness, particularly the realization of interconnectedness and the need for cooperation that can facilitate the next shift because the ground has now been kind of plowed, spaded, that allowed new seeds to form. And it's interesting that at the same time that this is happening with two major, you know, extinction event uh, threats, the climate crisis and nuclear weapons, um, that pro-social comes along that's actually based on science, you know, evolution, uh, evolutionary science um, with uh, Eleanor Ostrom, the Nobel laureate's core design principles that provides us kind of the playbook for cooperation. And so that's kind of the, the outer side of it, but we're also in pro-social world um, experimenting with the inner dimension that goes with that um, by integrating the what, what are called the, the nine elements of universal spirituality that uh, were envisioned by Brother Wayne Teasdale, the author of The Mystic Heart. So combining the core design principles of Eleanor Ostrom with this inner work of um, kind of contemplative practice and contemplative experience that comes from uh, Wayne Teasdale. So that's kind of how I, I would open that up, David. Yeah, and, um, I was going to just jump in here, too, because this is just so apt to how this whole episode is structured, because it's actually subtitled as a discussion from the sa- uh, sacred to the secular. And you guys are actually the third discussion, which is uh, from the mainstream scientific community and its uh, bridges over to, uh, you know, the world religions and these other dimensions. And the first part of the program was people from the UN who are having this uh, discussion. And the second part was major speakers, leaders, and authors from the global, I say, the transformational community of people who are talking about that kind of inner and outer change. And now going to you guys with regard to uh, the mainstream science. And what's interesting about it is that the way that we've done each of the sections is is pointing out that each of these discussions kind of starts in a different place because the epiphanies that have come to people that drive them into this understanding have kind of come from different places. And they also end in different places and the kinds of programs and the kinds of audiences that those programs reach out to. And of course, what that means, as as Jeff and David were both just saying, is that there's a larger audience out there that's extremely broad across a spectrum of experience and cultural backgrounding, assumptions and all of that. And they all need to be brought into this conversation to meet the common goals and the common person uh, purposes that are being demanded by the challenge we we're up against. So that's really great. And what I want to do then is throw it back to you, elaborate a bit more then on where you at ProSocial World kind of start. I think it's going to be with evolutionary principles and with, uh, as Jeff just said, the Ostrom design principles and coming from there in quite a contrast in a way to the Dharma people that have been on the program and who are coming straight from, let's say, uh, world religions and deep spiritual personal experience. Right. Well, I want to repeat something, Kurt, that you said the first time we met when you explained um, uh, the inner spiritual movement to me. And what you said was, is that all spiritual traditions and religious traditions converge upon 
um, an appreciation of rich interconnectedness, that everything is interconnected. And of course, scientific traditions converge upon that, secular traditions converge upon that as well. And then you said that um, that there's ethical, that, that appreciation of interconnectedness leads to an ethical conclusion, which is the futility of one part of a system attacking another part of a system. And so this provides what you call second-tier consciousness, a kind of a meeting place where for no matter how you arrived at this appreciation of interconnectedness, you can now discourse with other people who have arrived at the same conclusion. And that explains why you know, Christian contemplatives such as uh, Brother Wayne Teasdale um, was so intrigued with Eastern um, uh, uh, traditions. It's a merging of different religious traditions. So there's all of that. Um, and then the, I think the, the signature contribution of evolutionary thinking is to show that an appreciation of rich interconnectedness is not enough because richly interconnected systems can be highly dysfunctional as systems. And the crucial distinction we need to make is a complex system that functions well as a system compared to a complex system composed of agents following their respective adaptive strategies. A complex system that functions well as a system compared to merely a complex interconnected system whose agents are following their respective adaptive strategies. That second system leads to the suffering that the Buddha talked about, life as suffering. Why? Because of craving and greed. And so the, the, the path basically away from that kind of interconnected world to one which actually works well as a whole system, and now we know it must be a whole earth system, that requires special conditions, and it is evolutionary theory that's required in order to understand those special conditions. So, so I think here's where a pro-social world makes its main contribution in its, uh, what it brings to the table basically is this more nuanced understanding of what it takes to, to, to turn an interconnected system into one that functions well as a system. That's the signature contribution of modern evolutionary science and pro-social world is dedicated to basically bringing that insight into, into real world uh, context. Yeah, that's really so important. And I was just hearkening back to the discussions that you and His Holiness the Dalai Lama had in India when we were there uh, you know, two falls ago, which again, just testify to your long discussions with him about the two sides, the, the multi-dimensions of this discussion now globally. And of course, the big surprise to me, and I think many people that are on this broadcast will also, it'll come as a surprise, is that, that how mainstream science started stepping into the discussion based primarily on your work and with the understanding of group selection and multi-level selection and therefore understanding the evolution of altruism for the first time and understanding what, uh, what that means planetarily relative to how uh, uh, altruism evolved, suddenly then mainstream science was square in the middle of this transformative discussion where, as in the past, uh, it was more in, as you've said in some of your talks, David, more in the parlance of theology or sociology or, or you know, whatever those uh, concerns would have been. So, David? 
Yeah, and I'll quickly pass to Jeff. I think, you know, the way to make this point quickly, which I think can be so impactful to anyone who's listening to this, is what's often not said about compassion and compassion-based action of all sorts is its vulnerability. Whenever we act on behalf of others or society as a whole, we make ourselves vulnerable. That's why these things are in short supply. So unless you actually make it safe, to be compassionate, make it safe to be pro-social, then pro-sociality will not survive in a Darwinian world. And so that leads to the necessity of constructing safe and secure social environments so that compassion-based action can survive. That's the outer part that needed. And if you don't provide that outer part, then you're basically setting up compassionate people to fail. So that is, I think, where where this evolutionary account becomes so. Yeah, Jeff. Yeah, in a very tangible way, uh, where pro-social world is contributing to this, you know, in fact, in our mission, our mission is to consciously evolve a world that works for all. And so how, how do we go about doing that? Well, one is we have developed a training framework um, based on uh, Ostrom's core design principles and on some insights, also science-based from contextual behavioral science that is trainable to groups. So this is training for groups. Um, It can be trained. And not only that, but we also provide research mechanisms where we can develop the evidence of the impact of that training within groups so that they have a methodology for continuous improvement. Now, that's big news um, because what it says is that this can be trained in groups and it can be verified. We have the data that can show the impact that this cooperation can bring, and it doesn't stop there. It begins there. Because not only can groups um, through this framework, um, that's what it is. It's it's not a prescription, um, do this and you get that. It's a framework that they embody um, collaboratively together as a group. And the really great news is that it's scalable. So it's not just a group um, using these principles to flourish as a group. It enables them and gives them the means by which that they can do the same thing with other groups, and it's scalable to any level. Yeah, and what Jeff just said is so important. It really brings up a a good next point is that, you know, one of the things that the transformative or spiritual community didn't really understand, which you've really brought to the fore, coming from kind of the magical, mythical thinking that's more in that history of those groups is they've always felt that if people would just wake up, if they would come to this higher consciousness, that everything else would just uh, self-organize around that. And suddenly the world would do that. And David's made very clear, and I think it's a major contribution from pro-social world, that once the world wakes up, it it won't automatically self-organize. It's going to demand exactly what Jeff just talked about and what I'm going to invite David to talk about now. Yeah, I mean, there's so much to talk about. Too, too bad, time's too short. You know, I just have to say, only yesterday I had a conversation with somebody who's very, very high up in the Wikipedia movement. 
the Wikipedia movement. And Wikipedia is, is uh, you know, held up as this example of this kind of self-organization that is taking place. But uh, when you learn about that movement, what you realize is how very much structured it is and must be. I mean, there's all kinds of protections that are required in order to, in that case, to create a repository of accurate information, a very pro-social um, uh, thing. But for that to happen, uh, it's, I mean, self-organization is the wrong word. You need, I mean, this is where I think my, ma my final major point, to take the concept of society as an organism seriously, what does an organism have? It has cells, it has an anatomy, it has a physiology, it has an immune system, it has a nervous system. All of the, those things evolved by eons of selection, winnowing out the organisms that functioned well compared to those that didn't function well. And if we're going to create a global superorganism, we have to do that. And the selection is our, is our decisions that we make, deciding to do that rather than this. And so that's the project, basically. If we want to create a superorganism, then just look at a real organism. Uh, and to see how complicated that is. And that's the task in front of us. So that's the outer part. And of course, it needs the compassionate action on the, on the, uh, on the inner part. So it's a grand project, and it requires evolutionary know-how. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's interesting to hearken back that our first guest on our first in this series was Ken Wilbur. And of course, he's always saying in Integral that you have to go left-hand, right-hand. You have to have a stage. You have to have the awareness but then you have to have a structure. You've got to do the work to build the real reality around that awareness that you have. And in the transformative community, sometimes they call that left hand, right hand, dream it, do it. So it's not enough to dream it. You got to dream it and you got to do it. And you got to do it skillfully with all of the details that are involved in those skill sets was what David was just saying. So in the last few minutes here, let me go back to each of you give you a couple minutes each. This has been a rich conversation and really has capped off the other discussions that we've had. You know, since you work both in these spheres of coming from the science and then adding to that what's needed in the consciousness and the behavior and the understanding of spiritual principles, you know, then just how do you see this landscape and then the mandate for the future in the sense of what is the landscape that you think would work? for the future. So let me go back to each of you on that. Jeff, why don't you, uh, why don't you begin, please? Well, I, I guess I would uh, respond that what's emerging is organic. It's an answer to a, a human need, and it's a collective human need now. And my sense is that it's the emergence of a new story because if we look and follow back the thread, um, so many of the problems that we're experiencing uh, are based on a, a misunderstanding of who we are and our place in the natural world and you know, in, in the cosmos for that matter. Um, and so as this new story emerges, as more and more people realize individually what that is, and then collectively they begin to share that together, which interestingly enough aligns perfectly with uh, Ostrom's first core design principle, shared identity and purpose. When that begins to happen on a large scale, we're going to see change happen on a large scale. What seemed impossible or improbable or something that would take a very long time 
is something that is very likely to happen very quickly. And that's something that I've learned from David um, is also what happens in evolution. Evolution isn't just a long tail game. It's something that can happen very rapidly and, and does. Uh, David. Yeah, well, that, uh, what uh, Jeff just emphasized, the concept of catalysis, that the rates of a chemical change or the rates of a cultural change is not fixed. It can vary by orders of magnitude. And so we really can't accomplish in years uh, what previously might have taken decades or, or uh, uh, centuries. And the final thought I want to leave us with is that this represents a merging of the sacred and the secular. Of course, uh, there's so much cultural distance, for example, between the conversation that we're having and the kind of conversations that economists have, for example. Um, but those are truly merging. And that is momentous when you think of it, that, um, that uh, the sacred, what that means, and the secular and the scientific, what that means, that those could truly become fused and we can be spiritually inspired and we can function as scientists and practitioners, and there could be, that's just one community that does that, one community. So uh, I think that's the real maturation of, of the inner spiritual uh, uh, movement that we can look forward to, and we could be agents in catalyzing that. No, absolutely, and it, it really summarizes when the Dalai Lama said in his book, uh, uh, the future of religion, that the path that we can go down together, both science and, and the secular spiritual world together, is the one that's going to actually be the set of skill sets that can really address these issues. So, David Sloan Wilson and Jeff Janung, thank you so much for, for being with us. Well, thank you all so much. I think this program has given us a really solid understanding of what we mean by the consciousness shift needed for real global change. And we thank the more than a dozen major thought leaders from across this spectrum, from the sacred to the secular, that have spoken about it. Simply because of the number of our great guests, I'm going to keep our conclusion here very short and just tell you about what's coming next on the Convergence on Voice America. We'll be following on this discussion with the program from the United Nations Sustainable Development Thought Leaders Circle. And you can find them at sdgthoughtleaderscircle.org. That's sdgthoughtleaderscircle.org. Made up of distinguished thought leaders from around the world, they will join us to discuss what does it look like to act on this new awareness and higher consciousness, to actually build toward that world that works for all, which was the theme of our first program in this series. In other words, we're going to be going from what if to what then. So watch for that at the Voice America show page. And if you know us well, also in our newsletters and our other media with which you are familiar, which will announce that upcoming program. So thanks again to all of our amazing guests for this discussion of the consciousness shift needed for real global change. And reminding our listeners that biographies and links for all of them are in the publicity package for this program at the Voice America show page, right where you access this program. And we'll see you all again soon for our next discussion. In the meantime, be safe and be well. 
I search my way through wreckage, try to find a piece to say. Was it a hurricane? Was it rain? Was it a warm tsunami? An insult to the brave. While all our hearts are mortgaged and our minds are media slaves, the world is warming up as we earn Mother Nature's wage. Just inside, she is taking. Just in time. Just in time.